today we have the privilege of having a, a guest preacher to come and give you God's word today. And I want to introduce you to him just, um, just um, briefly. Um, his name is Jason, um, Jason Kang. He is a ruling elder in Korean, a Jangnoni, but a ruling elder at Intown Presbyterian Church in Decatur, Georgia. What is interesting about Jason was that he was called to be an elder when he was very young and when he was single. He's still single, and he's still very young. But I met him through our mutual friend Peter. We played tennis together, and we started talking about, about faith, about ethnicity, about the PCA, and about God's calling to each particular church and how we can reflect God's grace and mercy to all. And in so doing, I found a friend, someone who I can talk with on a regular basis and talk about our denomination, talk about what God is doing in Atlanta, talk about what it means to be Asian American, what it means to see multi-ethnicity, and to see with our Reformed faith, how does Christ, how can we let Christ shine? Um, I'm very particular about this pulpit. And so it was with great ease and pleasure that I offered this to Jason to come to give us God's word. So uh, let me pray for him and ask the Lord to use him. And then he will come and read for us God's word and give us the message. Lord, we thank you for our brother Jason. You have called him to be a ruling elder at Intel Presbyterian Church. We thank you for his work there. His work to bring his own perspective, his own experiences, and what the gospel looks like in his life. We thank you, Lord, that as you have knit him in that community, that you have allowed him to grow as a leader, as a shepherd. And you have also allowed the congregation to grow to understand his perspective, his understanding of the gospel. And we thank you that in that synergy that you are blessing that church. We pray for him that you will continue to give him strength and courage, humility and wisdom in shepherding the people you have placed before him. We ask of him, Lord, as he steps up here to give us God's word, that he would speak your very words, Lord God. And we ask that you would help us hear as we listen and hear him, that you would unplug our ears, soften our hearts, that through Jason, that we can see what's a good, gracious, and loving God you are. We thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Thank you, Pastor Young. And thank you, uh, Christ Covenant, for inviting me to preach for you this morning. Um, also thankful for the Segura family for joining me. Um, really appreciate your support. I'm someone who grows to love what uh, my friends love. 
So as I've gotten to know Pastor Young over the past few years, I can tell um, the way he talks about his church that he really loves you. Um, I have another friend who I've gotten to know over the past few years, and he loves this church too. Um, His name is Jesus. I hope to uh, convey this morning through the sermon um, my love for what my friends love. Our uh, scripture passage this morning comes from the book of Philemon, verses 15 through 20. Um, For those of you who use an actual Bible, um, it's only one chapter, so it might be a little bit difficult to find, but it comes after the book of Titus and um, before Hebrews. As you find your way to the passage, I would invite you to consider this question. Who comes to mind when you hear the word generosity. The Apostle Paul is going to instruct a Christian brother to receive a specific person with generosity. I'll be reading from the ESV. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Can you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your generosity. I pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts this morning to receive your generosity with thanksgiving and joy. Amen. Who comes to mind when you hear the word generosity? Some of us thought of someone who has shown generosity to us. Others of us have thought of someone that we have shown generosity to. I thought of uh, two people. Uh, First, I thought of Audrey. Um, I got a little paper cut this morning, so I was in need of a Band-Aid, so Audrey gave me a Paw Patrol Band-Aid. And then I thought of someone named Peter Lee. Um, I met Peter when uh, we were at a networking event for attorneys, and if you know anything about me, I'm an introvert and don't do well in large settings like that. So Peter was kind. He approached me, um, ended up inviting me to eat lunch, and then ended up inviting me to be his friend. Um, And Peter doesn't know this, but um, that's something that I really needed at that time. So I'm thankful for uh, Peter's generosity. Uh, The book of Philemon, it tells us that we are recipients of generosity. Um, This generosity comes from God, and he shows his generosity through others. We need to be reminded of this because we often struggle to receive others in the same way. Paul writes to Christians who live in a Roman context in which slavery is common. Masters had rights against runaway slaves, and legally... Running away might have constituted theft, wronging the master. So imagine a master 
and a runaway slave attending the same church. With this background in mind, Paul is telling Philemon, and he's telling us, that God has purchased our salvation. God has purchased our salvation. But what do we do in response? We receive others with generosity. And this is what generosity looks like. First, we receive others as family. If you look with me in verse 16, Paul teaches this community that we receive others with family, or as family, sorry. Paul is sending a runaway slave, Onesimus, back to his master, Philemon. Slavery back then was not the same as the slavery that you and I think of in American history, um, which is a conversation that I'm happy to have with you um, at another time, if you're interested. Um, But there was still a clear differentiation in status and rights between masters and slaves. Slaves were walking property, a living tool. And in Roman society, a uh, a runaway slave could be punished even by death. So when Paul tells Philemon that he might have Onesimus back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, Paul is telling Philemon to receive his runaway slave who should be punished as a beloved brother. Paul uses the language of family throughout his letter to Philemon. He calls Philemon brother, and in verse 16, he calls Onesimus brother. But he says, how much more to Philemon? Paul loves each man intimately, but he says that Onesimus is even more of a brother to Philemon. And this this brotherhood is one that lasts forever. If we consider slavery in the American context, this would be virtually impossible. Harriet Tubman was born a slave around the year 1820. And one day, fearing that she would be sold by her, I guess we would call him slave owner, uh, she ran away to Pennsylvania. Uh, The next year, she returned to Maryland, where she was from, and she helped her sister escape. By 1860, she returned to slave country about 19 times, helping other members of her family, as well as hundreds of other people escape along the Underground Railroad. Miss Tubman became a wanted fugitive in the South, and her capture would have received about $40,000 at one point. Now, we know that slave owners and slaves were completely unequal in the U.S. Imagine Miss Tubman's former slave owner losing his quote unquote property, who's now worth $40,000. What would he have done if Miss Tubman returned? Would he have received her as family? If she attended the same church as him, would she be a beloved sister? What would that even look like? Philemon has probably never seen this type of relational dynamic in the society he lives in. But this is the type of of relationship that Paul is asking Philemon to consider. Paul is suggesting something quite radical here. There's no way that a master could treat a slave, a living tool, as a brother. But Paul puts himself on the line to see this happen. In verses 18 and 19, he's willing to pay the cost financially. He's willing to use his reputation to vouch for Onesimus. And Paul is 
willing as the spiritual father of Philemon to use his relational privilege to advocate on behalf of Onesimus. Paul is willing to pay the cost financially with his reputation and his relational privilege to see this unequal relationship transformed. Why would he do that? It's because Jesus has paid the cost for Paul. If you remember, Jesus asked Paul when he was persecuting the church, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus showed Paul generosity, even though he had done much evil to the church. And through Paul, Jesus has paid the cost for Philemon. And now through Paul, Jesus is willing to pay the cost for Onesimus. If God has purchased Philemon's salvation and now Onesimus' salvation, they are sons of God, which makes them brothers. How could Philemon do anything but receive Onesimus as family? Now, we might not have institutionalized slavery today, but we live in a society where some are considered more than others. Our history of slavery and its consequences have left some better than others based on race. Others of us might experience this based on our gender or our professional status or educational background. Like Philemon, society might put us in a better position than others. We're used to receiving dignity and respect, which we should because we're made in the image of God. But like Onesimus, some of us are not used to receiving dignity and respect because society might put others in a better position than us. But God has purchased our salvation. We did nothing to purchase our salvation. Like Philemon, it was probably the prayers of someone who loves us the invitation of someone who loves us that led us to Christ. But God purchased Philemon's salvation, and he has purchased Onesimus' salvation too. Paul received Onesimus no matter his status in society, as family. And Paul is asking Philemon to consider the same thing. What would it look like to receive those of a different social position as more than the position society assigns? What would it look like to know we are family with those of a different race, a different gender, or different social status? Paul helps us by showing us that God has purchased our, our salvation, so we receive others with fellowship. In verse 17, Paul teaches this community that when we receive others, we receive them with fellowship. Paul uses the word partner which comes from the word koinonia. Um, it's translated as sharing in verse 6. We often translate this word as partnership or fellowship. And this is a type of relationship that we share with other believers when we are in Christ. Um, our church's missions committee, uh, we're, we call it the global partners team. And so one of our global partners is a man who's twice my age, he's about my father's age, and he has spent about 40 years in a restricted access country. Um, this man has never owned his own home until he purchased a condo this, this past year. So that means for the past 40 years, he has returned to Atlanta on sabbatical and has stayed in a home that is not his own. He has driven a car that is not his own. 
that you can't get around Atlanta without a car. Church members have shown this man and his family generosity. Uh, I first met him when um, a, a friend of mine invited him into their home so that he could share about his ministry and uh, so that the group can, could pray for him. Um, I ended up inviting him out to eat lunch at a Greek restaurant, and it was a little weird at first because he wasn't sure why I wanted to get lunch with him. Um, he was like, okay, this guy's half my age, and I guess he's an elder, so does that mean I'm in trouble? <laughs> um, I, I ended up putting him at ease by just letting him know that. I, I just wanted to get to know him. I wanted to learn from his experience, um, and I wanted to hear about what the church is like in a restricted access country. Um, he teaches a, a course to missionaries and local believers called Preparing the Church for Persecution. Um, he has friends who have been martyred for their faith, and... Um, yeah, it is very sobering to, um, to get to know him. Um, but even after these brief interactions, um, I think that if I visit that part of the world, I'll have um, some Christians there who will receive me with generosity, who will treat me in the same way. And this is the type of fellowship that Paul is talking about, the type of relationship that we share with other believers when we are in Christ. As a partner, Paul asks Philemon to receive Onesimus as you would receive me. How would Philemon receive Paul? Philemon would receive Paul with fellowship. This fellowship involves, in verse 20, refreshing Paul's heart. In verse 22, praying for Paul and preparing a guest room for Paul to stay in. Philemon would probably show generosity towards Paul's next missionary endeavor. Paul asked Philemon to receive Onesimus in this way. His runaway slave is now in Christ, so he's a partner. Paul is saying, refresh his heart. Pray for him. Show generosity. Learn how you can support his ministry. Paul's an apostle, and he's also Philemon's uh, spiritual father. He's probably the most important spiritual figure that Philemon will ever know in his life. Of course he should pray for Paul. Of course he should support his ministry. Who's an important spiritual figure in your life? Is there someone you look up to who has been a significant influence on your life? Someone you would gladly consider a partner? Um, I don't know who that is for you, but knowing Pastor Young, maybe your favorite CCEF conference speaker or Tim Keller. Um, without question, you would pray for these people. You would support their ministry. You would treat them to a meal if they needed. Prepare a guest room for them. Yeah, don't stop doing that. Continue to receive that person with generosity. But what about someone who's not as important? to you or your church, someone who will never um, influence your life in the same way. Maybe they're not as gifted or influential. Maybe they'll never hold an ordained position. Would you consider this person a partner? Can you pray for this person or support their ministry in the same way you would support your favorite pastor 
your favorite professor, your favorite conference speaker. What ministry could Onesimus realistically have in Philemon's church? Not only is he a slave, he has wronged this important leader in the church. There's baggage here, and it's not a secret. Now, I know there's no baggage at Christ's covenant, but if there was, I don't think it would be a secret. And I used to think it was just an Asian American church thing, but it, it's, it's universal. There are no secrets in church. Um, earlier in the book, uh, Paul says that formerly Onesimus was useless, but now he is useful. Just so you know, everyone has a useful ministry in the church, not just the Philemons who have the big house who can host an entire church, not just, or I guess a community group, not just the person who can write or preach well. We appreciate those gifts, but sisters and brothers, you have a ministry that is worth supporting. Take the time to learn about each other's ministry as large or small as it is, because we are partners in Christ. That means you older people get to know the college students. Um, they're at an age where it's probably a lot harder to be a Christian at that stage of life than it was for many of us. Um, but even still, their classmates, their, their friends are at a stage where many of them are seeking purpose and identity and are probably more open to the gospel than many people in our stage of life. Um, encourage them, pray for them, support them. They need our encouragement. They are our partners in Christ. And lastly, because God has uh, purchased our salvation, we receive others with forgiveness. In verses 18 and 19, Paul teaches this community that when we receive others, we receive them with forgiveness. Onesimus may have wronged Philemon in some way. Uh, some commentators believe that Onesimus may have stolen uh, enough to cover his journey when he ran away. Others believe that even the act of running away would have been considered theft. Others... Um, Legally, a runaway slave could be punished even by death. So Paul is asking something radical when he is asking Philemon to forgive Onesimus. We don't know what is owed exactly, but Philemon has reason to be upset with Onesimus. His property has run off and should be punished. Forgiveness is hard when you've been wronged. But it's even harder when you've been wronged by someone you're better than. Onesimus is not even fully human. He's not an equal. And society says he should be punished. So it's surprising when Paul offers to repay what is owed. Paul's in prison, so it's not like he has much to offer. He needs resources to advance his kingdom ministry around the world. So... Why would he offer his precious resources to vouch for Onesimus? Maybe, just maybe, this is Paul's important kingdom ministry around the world to help Philemon receive Onesimus with forgiveness. Paul covers the financial cost 
but his gesture goes beyond that. Uh, The first car I ever purchased with my own money was a big deal. Um, I'm still driving that car today, and at that point in my life, it was the most expensive purchase I had ever made. Um, And I don't buy new things very often, so when I do, I take really good care of my property. So imagine how I felt within the first year of owning it when I walked out to see damage to my bumper and how someone had hit my car and driven off without telling me. Uh, I felt angry, I felt frustrated, and I felt like someone had damaged my heart. It wasn't just the car, it was the hours of work that I put in to earn enough money to pay for that car. It was uh, dealing with insurance, worrying about my premium going up, and um, my insurance company wouldn't even cover the damage unless I had a police report. So I had to call the police to come out and write a report. Um, I had to go sit in the repair shop for I don't know how many hours, and Um, I ended up having to pay a deductible out of pocket. Uh, I was not happy. So imagine how I felt a few weeks later when my roommate came up to me and he said, Jason, uh, I don't don't know if it was me, but uh, I backed up into your car uh, a few weeks ago, and um, I didn't think there was any damage, so I didn't say anything. Yeah, I was not happy. Um, he, he ended up offering to pay the deductible. So I was financially whole, technically, for what I paid out of pocket. I was paid in a material way, but it took my heart a little bit more time to recover. Uh, when I can't forgive someone, I, I think I'm better than them. can't believe he didn't tell me. can't believe he waited until after I called the police and got insurance involved. I would never do anything like that. Paul offers to make Philemon financially whole, to repay what might be owed. But I imagine it might take a little bit more time for Philemon's heart to come around. I already think I'm better than someone who has wronged me, but how do you forgive someone who isn't even human? Imagine how much more difficult it would have been to forgive my roommate if he had not offered to pay the deductible. He didn't even pay the deductible. How much more fodder for gossip and resentment would I have had? Um, I don't know about your heart, but my heart looks for anything to make myself better than other people. Paul is de-escalating the situation He takes away any potential obstacle that Philemon could hold against Onesimus. Because it's not just financial debt. Paul's asking for heart-level forgiveness. He's asking Philemon to receive Onesimus with generosity. But how do you do that? Paul goes one step further and he says, Philemon, you owe me even your own self. He's reminding Philemon that God received you with forgiveness. Philemon, like Israel, you were once a slave in the land of Egypt. The Lord your God redeemed you. You owed a debt to God that you could not pay. 
and legally, you should have been punished, even with death. But God received you with forgiveness. You had nothing to offer. Christ paid what you owed. You received forgiveness and eternal life through my ministry. You were forgiven so much more than Onesimus. Receive him with generosity. Receive him with forgiveness the same way it was done for you. Even with the financial costs covered, Philemon could legally have punished Onesimus. He could have stood on his rights and given Onesimus what he deserved. Sure, the financial debt is paid, but Onesimus deserves to be shamed. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? In America, we love to stand on our rights against those who have wronged us. I work in the court system where people say every day, you have wronged me and you deserve to be punished. That's often the first thing people say when it's often the last thing we should say. We escalate immediately to go to court when all of that time, all of that money, all of that fighting could have ended early on if someone would have forgiven the other, if someone would have apologized to the other. The overloaded court system is one indicator that as a society, we choose to escalate and make it harder to forgive when instead we should de-escalate to make it easier to forgive. Uh, we do this on social media too. Anyone who has done something wrong deserves to be shamed. We escalate the situation by shaming publicly before reaching out to someone privately to explain what was hurtful or offensive to receive them with forgiveness before they are demonized by everyone we know. Is it any different in the church? Um, I know there's no baggage here at Christ's covenant. Um, and maybe we won't shame others publicly, but do we shame privately and then it spreads publicly? Like I said before, there, there are no secrets in church. But is this how we treat a fellow sister, a fellow brother, a fellow partner in Christ? That's not how we were treated. Because God has purchased our salvation, we receive others with forgiveness. This letter would have been read publicly to the entire church, not just to Philemon. So that means that everyone hearing this letter, masters, slaves, women, children would be shaped by Paul's message and model. Paul's shaping the entire church to receive each other with generosity. Those who are less than know you are family in Christ. Those with unrecognized gifts and ministries know you are partners in Christ. Those who messed up who will never do enough to be received by others, know that forgiveness is possible in Christ. We de-escalate. We pay the cost with our finances, with our reputation, with our relational privilege to create environment where this is made easier, where family, where fellowship and forgiveness is made easier. Why do we do that? It's because Paul has been shaped by Jesus' message and model. 
Jesus did something radical when he forgave you. You deserved to be punished. But Jesus de-escalated the situation. He paid the cost with his life and used his relational privilege with the Father so you could be adopted as sons and daughters, the family of God. You deserved to be shamed, but Jesus paid the cost with his reputation. He took your shame on the cross. And now Jesus invites you to partner with him by sharing in the fellowship of his sufferings to create an environment for others unlike the culture around us where it becomes easier to receive others with generosity, where it becomes easier to receive others as family, with fellowship, and with forgiveness. We owe Christ our own selves because he showed us eternal generosity. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your generosity. I pray, Lord, that we would not only receive your generosity, but that we would respond to your generosity. Please let our response shape the culture around us, in our families, in our church, in our friendships, in our workplaces, in our schools. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would create an environment of generosity where family, where fellowship, where forgiveness is made easier because of what you have done for us. We thank you, Lord, for your love. And we pray, Lord, that uh, we would go out and share your generosity with the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.